They said some songs and psalms together. So actually, this would have been a psalm which Jesus and his closest followers prayed as he was getting ready for his crucifixion, for when he was going to be the true Passover lamb, uh, to be our rescuer and our saviour. So he looked back to salvation at the Exodus, but also looked forward to the salvation Jesus would bring. And so I'm confident, you know, if Jesus and his disciples could pray this psalm and sing it, then actually we too can learn to pray it like Jesus' disciples would do as well for his salvation for us. Now, when we look closely at the psalm and what it's saying, it seems to be, the setting of the psalm seems to be that uh, God's people are being mocked and challenged by people in the world who are saying to them, as you can see the question in verse 2, why should the nations say, where is their God? Why should the nations say, where is their God? The, the nations are mocking them, chiding them, questioning them, saying, where is your God? Imagine, that must have been, for some of them, quite a painful question to hear and think about. As the nations say to them and challenge them, where is your God? Where is their God? I wonder if maybe this might have been uh, written or said in context of war, if uh, God's people were facing invasion and threats of foreign armies and the foreign nations are putting them under pressure and threat and maybe God's people would, or those nations would say to them, where is your God going to help you now as you're under threat of battle? Or maybe, perhaps, it, I imagine it, maybe it could be uh, an experience of God's people when they return to the land after they've been in exile. If they've been in exile in Babylon, they return to the land, God brought them back again to, to Israel, to their own land. And you can imagine there, as we're told in Scripture, they were a small community being restored, come back to the land with their hopes and dreams of restoration. And actually, initially, all their dreams didn't come to pass. Uh, things weren't quite as they hoped imagine it might be and you can imagine them as a small nation maybe people were saying to them or maybe they might be thinking to themselves you know where is their God yeah I wonder though as well if that's a question actually we ourselves as God's people might times face today I, I, I think it's big enough on the screen behind me um, it's quite small on, on that screen up there but we I wonder if we ourselves sometimes face that question from the world ourselves as God's people today followers of Christ if the nation say to us where is your God, if we're ever tempted to think that question ourselves. When we look at our country and the marginalisation of Christianity in the UK, how Christians are pushed to the edges, and we see the progress of secularisation, or when we feel small compared to the powers of the world and those seem to have power and influence, I wonder if sometimes the nations say to us, where is your God? So this might be a, a setting we could identify with, and when we uh, think of some of the challenges Christians face in our country. I wonder if there's things we can learn of how they responded to this question, which could strengthen and encourage us in our own walk with the Lord and asking to serve him. And when we look at this psalm and how he answers that question, when he's hearing that question, where is your God? The way he seems to answer it is he does two things and encourages us to do two things. First, he encourages us to take a good long look around, take a good, uh, solid, firm look around, and then last, secondly, to also take a good long look up to the Lord and remind yourself of who he is. So take a look around, a good long look around, and then take a good long look upwards. So we're going to do two things with the psalmist uh, to encourage us to praise him tonight. We'll take a look around and then take a look upwards. So here's the first thing then when we take a look around. And when we look around, what we see is that the, the idols and the gods of other nations uh, are really actually make-believe 
And ultimately they end, if we follow them, they end in death and silence. Idolatry is make-believe and it ends in death and silence when we look at the, the gods of the other nations around us. So I guess from verses 4 to 8. Have a look down at verse 4 to 8 and we'll read it again for us. Their idols are silver and gold, the works of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see, they have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. They do not make a sound in their throats. Those who make them become like them and so do all who trust in them. So the psalmist's first answer to this question, where is their God, is actually to, to look at the other gods of the nations, uh, check out what they're like. And essentially puts the question on them. How does your God compare? If, if your God was put in the dock, how would, we, how would he do? And he's quite uh, frank. We might even say he's blunt. He says their gods are, are make-believe. They're just imaginary. They can't do anything at all. He puts the question to them. I, I wonder if it's actually sometimes quite a good um, evangelistic or sometimes quite a good apologetic strategy, actually, to sometimes use question ourselves. Um, you might know Jesus, actually, in his ministry, used lots of questions. Now, the Bible does tell us if we're uh, seeking to defend our faith, if we're getting challenged to ask questions about faith, we should, we should do it with gentleness and respect. Peter says that in his letter. Peter says, if anyone asks you for the reason for the hope you have, do it. Share the reason for the hope you have with gentleness and respect. But still, I wonder, like the psalmist does here, if there's a place for asking questions, actually looking, if somebody's coming to us with challenges, actually take a time to actually see how robust is their God, their worldview. Does it stand up to scrutiny? If their God was put in the dock, how would it do? Uh, and he, as I said, he gives a pretty frank description of idolatry, these other gods, that they are literally make-believe. And ultimately, he says, they lead to death and, and silence. He describes the idols and nations as being like man-made gods who actually can't do anything at all. And the Bible says that we're made in God's image. He's our creator. But when we try to reverse that, when we try to make God, it's just a man-made idol. It's just a figment of somebody's imagination. that they made up. They can't do anything at all. He says these man-made gods are lifeless. They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear. Feet but do not walk. So while it might be at times tempting to want to have a physical idol, a physical god, you the God of the Bible is a God you can't see, he's invisible. We might struggle at times with God being invisible. It might be tempting to have a physical idol, like they do in some religions. Actually, those uh, physical idols people made are uh, lifeless. Uh, they can't do anything at all. You might know that actually there are still some religions around the world where they do literally have physical idols to their gods. Um, I remember once I went to Japan, and we see a Buddhist temples in Japan, and they have... Uh, it's quite, it can feel quite oppressive. You see all the, the idols people worship in a, in, a, in a Buddhist temple. Or I remember one time when I was in London, and uh, when I was in London, I was at Bible College, and uh, one of the assignments we had to do at Bible College, we had to go and visit a place of worship of another, uh, another faith, and you had to interview someone from another faith, and I chose, actually happened to go to a Hindu temple. So I went to a very large Hindu temple in East London, now, it was really interesting to see the Hindu temple and all these different uh, gods they had, you know, hundreds of gods in the Hindu temple and seeing them worshipping them. 
But it did make me wonder, and, uh, if, you know, why, why do they believe this when I see this? I don't want to, I don't want to speak wrongly, but uh, I did really wonder how can they worship these physical idols that they were, they were worshipping? When I saw them, all these hundreds of different gods, and them devoutly following them. Now, we ourselves, as uh, Westerners, we're a lot more materialistic, maybe a lot more scientific, and we might not have physical gods like they do in many of those religions, but there are other things we can idolise and worship, aren't there? Yeah, we, uh, we can idolise silver and gold, wealth, money. We can still idolise the works of our hands, the things we produce, our labour. It was John Calvin, the great Bible teacher, who said this. He said, the human heart uh, can at times be a factory of idols. Our hearts can be a factory of idols, he said, always producing uh, new things from our own hearts to worship instead of the Lord. Because yeah, we're created to worship the Lord. Uh, if we don't worship the Lord, inevitably, if you have a vacuum, something else comes in and takes the Lord's place, and we'll worship something else, whatever it is, whether it's wealth, success, fame, popularity, we'll be tempted to worship something else. The preacher Tim Keller, who some of you might have heard of, he has a book called Counterfeit Gods. He describes uh, idols we might have as counterfeit gods. And he says these things about idolatry. He says to, uh, an idol could be anything where we take something which is good and we'd be tempted to turn it into an ultimate thing. So God gives us many good gifts. Uh, but if we're tempted to take something, one of God's good gifts and making something ultimate, that's a form of idolatry, putting it in God's place. Or he also says this. Uh, he says, uh, an idol is whatever you look at and say, if I have that, then I know my life has meaning, then I'll know that I have value, then I'll feel significant and secure. You know, think to, think to stuff, you know, I have to have this thing, because if I don't have that thing, this thing I, I really long for, then I won't have meaning or value and significance. That could be a form of idolatry as well. Well, I have to pause just for a moment. We have two questions come up on the screen. Let's just think for a moment. What do you think are the idols our society most worships? And what would be the idols you think you'd be tempted perhaps to turn and worship to if you were to turn away from the Lord? Take a moment just think about that. What do you think are the idols our society most worships? And if we were tempted to turn away from the Lord, what would be the idols we might be tempted to turn to? Give me a moment just to to reflect on those few questions before we'll come back. Well, the psalmist, in his critique of uh, idolatry, as he's looking around, taking a good long look uh, at the other options around us, he actually does give quite a devastating uh, critique of uh, the end result of idolatry. He says that in verse 8, people actually become like the things they worship. Verse 8, those who make them become like them, and so do all who trust in them. I don't think that's saying that people literally become blind or literally become deaf, we can become like that spiritually. People are spiritually blind, spiritually deaf, spiritually unresponsive 
to God. And then he says the end result is death and ultimately silence. Verse 17, the dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence, but we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. It seems to contrast those there who worship idols and those who worship the Lord, ultimately idolatry. These make-believe gods lead to death, but those who worship the Lord will not just praise him now, but he says we'll also praise him forevermore. Uh, we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. There's just a hint there of how knowing the Lord leads to eternal life because we'll worship him forevermore. So if you look around then, uh, what do we see about the reality of all these other gods? If the nations, people are interest, where is their God? We'll take a long look round at what idolatry, the alternatives are really like. They are make-believe. Look at their destination, where they end if we're tempted to, to follow them or turn to them. Well, just two thoughts or two suggestions in application for us on this point. Firstly, I think we need to, as Christians today, I think we need to be encouraged not to be overawed where we do see our faith being challenged. You know, I think we do face many challenges in this country as Christians from secularists and forces opposed to the gospel. Actually, we shouldn't be overawed by the challenges we face. Actually, uh, actually if they were put in the dock, in God's dock, they wouldn't really stand up to scrutiny. And I think one of the questions we can take encouragement from this, I think, which I think we see modelled in this psalm, is actually a lot of the questions people might ask us at times if they challenge us, actually a lot of the questions we might face as Christians actually are questions which actually are uh, brothers and sisters who've gone before us have actually thought about already. Yeah, there's many Christians throughout uh, the history of Christianity, the history of the church, who've written about the questions we have. This psalmist is writing in answer to this question. There are many Christians throughout the ages who have written and been very thoughtful, writing answers to the questions we might face. So if you face questions from your friends and family, actually there are people who have already thought about those questions. We shouldn't be uh, surprised by them or, or they shouldn't shake our faith because people have thought and written about them already, like this psalmist done on this question. But also, I think, secondly, in application, I think this should also make us want to be compassionate, shouldn't it, for the lost, yeah, when we see, if this, if this is a true description, if it, even though it's very frank and very blunt, this should make us compassionate for the lost, shouldn't it? This is the, the reality of what idolatry is like. Uh, people become like these make-believe idols. This should make us compassionate for the lost, shouldn't it? When we see what idolatry is really like and where it leads, we should have a compassion for the lost. So that's then looking around uh, the other gods, and uh, when we hear this question, where is their God? I'm going to do the second thing, the second way of looking, which is to look up, look up to the Lord. And when we look up to the Lord in the psalm, we see that the Lord is our faithful creator and helper who leads us to trust and praise him. The Lord is our faithful uh, helper and creator who leads us to trust and praise him. This comes up a number of times in the psalm. So I'll read the verses again where it seems to come up. It's scattered throughout the psalm. So verse 1. He says to us, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does all that he pleases. And then verse nine. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small 
and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heaven, but the earth is given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any go down into silence, but we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. So in contrast to the idols, we see some rich truths here about the Lord, what he's like, our God. He's a God who's faithful to us, as he calls us to be faithful to him. He's a God of steadfast love and faithfulness, of covenant commitment to his people, covenant commitment uh, to us, a covenant love. And he says, Simon says, and all the glory should go to him. As I was preparing for tonight, I found out, I think, a really helpful quote from Matthew Henry, a great Bible teacher, where Matthew Henry says this, I think quote come up on the screen. He says, all the good we have is done, uh, all good we have done is of his grace at working up for us, and all the good we have is his mercy, and therefore he must have all the praise. So he's saying that actually all the good we do is a result of God's grace working through us, and all the good we have is because of his mercy to us. So actually then all the, the glory and praise should go to him. And while you know, our God might be invisible, we can't see God. Obviously the disciples could see Jesus and touch Jesus. You know, God has shown us himself in Jesus. But we today, we can't see God. He's invisible to us. And so it might be tempting to want a physical idol like they had, uh, the other nations. Actually, while, we do, while our God is invisible, we do have a living God and have a living relationship with a real, true God. He's a living God. And we have a living relationship with him. We were saying earlier on how this psalm is essentially a call and response, and we will pray it together later on. I invite you to pray it with me. And the psalmist exhorts us to put our trust in God. Three times he says that, put your trust in God. He is our help and shield. He is their help and shield. He is their help and shield. He is their help and shield. He exhorts us to put our trust in him. Um, you might know that, um, I'm sure you know, in, in English, one of the things we have in English, we have this thing we call the superlative Whereas if we want to emphasize and say something is the best, uh, we have this thing called a superlative. So if you're saying, you, you might say, this is good, this is better, this is the best. This is a superlative, it's the very best. Well, apparently in Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, the Jewish language, they don't really have the superlative for something. So what they would do if they wanted to say something was the very best, they would repeat it three times. So they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. God is the holiest the most holy one. Do you notice here how the psalmist repeats three times that God is our help and our shield. He repeats it three times to us. He's our greatest help and our shield. He wants us to be assured of that, to be confident it, that God is our help and shield for us. So he repeats it three times. Here for myself, reflecting on the state of Christianity in our country and the, the challenges we face in this country and the world, I think it's actually a great assurance and comfort to us to know that God is our help and shield. He's our protector. When you see all the, the threats and challenges, all the people who, who would love to get rid of the church, would love to get rid of Christianity, I think it's a great assurance to know God is our help and shield. Uh, like, for example, if you see the things going on in the Church of England, the challenges they face in the Church of England at the moment, it's a great assurance to know God is our help and shield, he's our protector. We need to rely and depend on him. And as well as God, knowing God is our help and shield, he also gives a threefold assurance that God will bless us. 
God will remember us. And he blesses and remembers both small and the great alike. Uh, verse 13, he will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. There's nobody who's too small for the Lord. It's not God is only interested in the great. God is interested in both the small and the great. Nobody's too small for the Lord. He'll bless both the small and the great. We might well ask then, well, how exactly does God bless us? We're told three times he will bless us if we keep trusting in him, looking to him as our shield. How does God bless us today? I don't think it can mean they're always successful or we never have any health struggles or they were triumphalistic. can't mean all our dreams in life come true. I wonder if part of the way God blesses us in just the way that God is so different to the idols of the nations. Yeah, we don't have a God who is deaf. We don't have a God who can't say anything. We don't have a God who doesn't act and doesn't do anything because he's just make-believe. We do have a God who speaks to us. Uh, We have a God who speaks to us through his word. We have a God who speaks to us through his son, Jesus. And because he's a God, a living God, we can have a living relationship with a living God. And we do have a God who hears us. We can come to him in prayer, bring our, what's in our hearts to him. And he hears us when we pray because he's a, a God who literally hears our prayers. I hope it's okay to say this. Some of us were talking to Matt and Ali later and they were saying how many prayers they've seen answered for them recently as people have been praying for them. We have a, a God who hears us when we pray. We can have a living relationship with a living God. And then he's also a God who actually does act and does stuff. Uh, he's a God who acts. You know, he acted at the time of the, the Exodus, to rescue his people from slavery in Egypt. And then many years later, he acted again, sending his son Jesus to rescue us, save us through his death on the cross and his resurrection. We have a living relationship with a living God who hears, who speaks, and who acts today. But there was one verse, though, that particularly struck me when I was preparing for this, which is verses 14 and 15. I wonder if maybe these might be particularly relevant for us, verse 14 and 15. So verse 14 and 15, it says this, May the Lord give you increase, you and your children may be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. When it talks about increase there, I presume that's talking about the numerical growth of, of God's people, of Israel, and for them that would be both them having children, and maybe being converted uh, and coming to, to follow the Lord as well. For us to have increase, it would be to see numerical increase and in growth. To God to add to our number. Either God bringing people to city church or the salvation of people. You can imagine for them, uh, when they were a small community returned to the promised land, with the nations saying to them, where is their God? And as a small people, you can imagine how that must have felt for them. There may be the temptation to look elsewhere uh, and... Like for us, maybe at times the temptation to try and find some kind of silver bullet in ministry, then we'll have success in ministry and, and growth. Well, when we feel small, we need to look to the Lord, keep trusting him and pray for the Lord to give the increase. May the Lord increase us. It said, may the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May ye be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. We need to look to the Lord to give us growth, both growth and conversion, God adding to our numbers. I was saying earlier on that we're, we, we have our prayer meeting this Wednesday, this week, and we're thinking about maybe um, having another prayer meeting on a Sunday evening, which I, I invite your thoughts on. 
maybe this is one reason why we need to do that, to be praying, people to be praying, God, would you give us the increase? God, would you add to our number? God, would you help us to grow? God, would you bring fruit from our evangelism? God, would you give the increase and bless us? I was saying earlier on at the beginning how this was a psalm which the Jews would pray, the, the festival of Passover. And we're saying that means this also a psalm which Jesus himself would pray as he was celebrating the Passover and looked forward to his own crucifixion. And look down at uh, the end of the psalm. Imagine Jesus saying this psalm. In verse 17, the dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any go down to silence, but we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Try and imagine Jesus saying those words. It's actually only because of Jesus, because of his death and resurrection, those verses can actually be true for us. We don't have to fear death. Death has been conquered through Christ, through his death and resurrection. And because of Jesus, we can actually be among those who will praise the Lord both from this time forth and forevermore. Because if he won eternal life for us. So if we hear those voices saying, where is your God? Where is your God? Where is your God? Remember, take a good look around. Take a long look at what the the realities of the other gods. And then take a long look up at the Lord, our faithful creator, our help, our shield. He loves us and he's faithful to us. Let me pray for us. Actually, we're going to, I said, we'll pray this psalm together. So I invite you, if you want to, to pray this psalm with me. The words will come up on the screen. We'll say this uh, psalm together. I invite you, if you want to, to join me in this. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. They do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, and so do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us and he will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens. But the earth is given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. We're going to praise the Lord in our final song together. Blessing and honour, glory and power be unto the Ancient of Days. Do stand and sing if you're able. <laughs>